Nicole, good uh, job picking a Celtic worship song today. Got the, the Ireland contingent here, so we, there was a wedding yesterday for <laughs> uh, Paul Murphy and Katinga were married yesterday from our congregation, so we have a, a number of visitors from Ireland, so welcome. And uh, it was really interesting, actually, I was thinking about this, Paul, when he was kind of uh, speaking after the wedding, he shared his own kind of story and his, and his belief in God, and he did it in a, in a, in a powerful way, and you could kind of hear that, what God meant to him and how God was real in his life. And that was really, really important, I thought, when I heard that, to hear it coming from the person who they respect, everyone was there to see married. And one of the reasons I thought it was so important is, it is important for us to be able to share our stories. Right? What has God done in my life? And I think nowadays, often the, the church and, and we in the church are um, often reticent maybe to, to share the story of Jesus. We kind of get scared of the word evangelism. We kind of worry about what does it mean to, to help spread the gospel. And some of these things may, may be a little uncomfortable for us. And so this next uh, series, we're going to kind of take six weeks to talk about how we can be bold for Jesus. How we, how we can learn to share and tell our stories. And for the first three weeks, we're calling it, This Is My Story. And we're going to be delving into how we can personally identify our story. We're going to talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we tell our story, kind of practical different ways we can share the gospel. And the final one is, like, how do we live the story? How do we make the gospel story apparent as we live our lives? And then after those three weeks, we're going to three weeks, a little bit more talking about collectively as the church, how do we spread the gospel? And we look at how Jesus told uh, the disciples to, to begin in Jerusalem and then go to Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And so there's kind of a local aspect. We're going to do a week on local gospel sharing. Then we're going to talk more about a national kind of provincial way we share the gospel. And finally, we're going to talk about how do we share the gospel globally? And we're going to actually have Voice of the Martyrs here to kind of talk about what's happening with Christians around the world. And so we're really looking forward to this series, and I hope um, you enjoy it. And so I'm going to ask you to, through these weeks, pray for the Lord to reveal times for you when you can actually share your story, to give you opportunities, and to do it obviously in ways which are engaging and showing the true love of God. So can we pray for each other this next few weeks that God will give us opportunities to share the love of Christ. The old, weary, wizened king retreated to his inner chambers and he, he kicked off his soldier's boots. It had been a long day. It had been a, been a long life. And he was looking back at the time that he was allowed to serve as the king of Israel. And he remembered many of the faces that he had seen along the way, some kind and some conniving. And if he was honest with himself, he was feeling a little bit disappointed. He had just heard from God. And he was usually excited when he heard from the Lord. But this time what he heard from God was just... A little sad for him. He had heard God tell him that he was not to be the one to build the temple of Yahweh. But King David loved Yahweh. He had been living decades pursuing Yahweh and trying to create a nation that could honor Yahweh and worship Yahweh. He was writing songs to Yahweh. He saw people celebrating Yahweh. And now he hears that he doesn't get to build the temple, the thing he wanted to do for his entire life. 
because there was blood on his hands and this was true. And he looked about the land and all he saw was disputes. And there was little he could do but just stand with his troops. His sons were bickering and arguing. They, they already knew the time was going to come at some point where one of them would succeed King David. And so he saw them fighting with each other. And what he, he realized when he looked at them, is they were fighting. They, they thought they were fighting over wealth and fame and power and money. But what he saw was they were really fighting over who would get to proclaim God's name at the temple dedication. He was passing on to someone the grand honor of allowing the people of God to gather in one location and worship God from Mount Zion. That was the one thing he had wanted in life, and it was the one thing he wasn't going to be able to do. And so he kind of sat back in his chair, and he kind of slouched, and he's realizing, there's nothing I can do. Or was there? As the Holy Spirit of God came upon him, he kind of perked up, and he realized he had to do something. And so he walked over to his beloved harp, and he started just playing on the strings, and he began to sing. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. And you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead, and you spared me going down to the pit. David decided that what he needed to do was write a song for the temple dedication. That one day, even though he might be dead and, and buried, that the people would sing a song of praise to God as they dedicated that temple. And they would sing a song that recognized and resembled his story. What God had done for him. And if he was going to sum up what God had done for him, David would say, God saved me. God saved me. And you know what? I know that word sometimes, saved, it was just become a little bit cliche or not as popular sometimes in churches. We don't like to talk about someone being saved. I'm saved. Guess what I want to say? Our God is a God who saves. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's done for you. He saved you. That's what he's done for me. He saved me. Jesus saves, amen? And that is the hope that we have is to recognize there is a God who saves. And this is what David is saying. Look at God. Look at him. He saved me. And what I love is the way that David recognizes that his salvation can be kind of explained in different ways. There's so many different ways that God has done things for him. The fact that he's saved, there's a number of metaphors that he uses for what God did. And I think it's important that we recognize when we talk about God's saving, that there's often many different pictures of what that means so we can kind of understand this is a beautiful, holistic thing. And there's so many different facets of it. We'll never completely understand the divine mystery of God's salvation. But at the same time, we recognize that he saves. And look what he says. One of the ways he describes uh, the salvation experience is that he says that he was, he says that you lifted me out of the depths. 
Now in Israel, water was a scary thing. The waters were the place where you'd sink into the depths. And so the depths of the waters always represented chaos and calamity for an Israelite. And so he says, like, I was, I was in the depths and you rescued me out of the depths. What he's giving you is a picture of, like, basically a lifeguard. I remember uh, a number of years ago when my sons uh, were a little bit younger and my, my middle one, uh, Justice, he wanted to swim for the first time without water wings. And so we were at camp, right? He said, I don't know, pedal jumper, no. And so I said, okay. And he was, he was swimming with us and he was kind of right beside me. I was always near him. Um, he was kind of swimming. I turned a little bit to the side so I wasn't looking at him. And you could, he, all of a sudden he started sinking, right? And he was splashing. Ah, splashing and, and, he, and so I went and I scooped him up and I picked up. And he was just panicking. He just clinged to me. He was just, this is what God has done for us. He saved us. Have you ever felt like that? Like the water's just crashing in you in your life? And you're just like, ah, you're just panicking. I can't, God, I can't do anything, God. And he just, he, he takes you up out of the waters. That is what God does. He saves us. Another way he describes what God did is, is a victory. He says, you did not let my enemies gloat over me. What I, what I got a picture here is, of, 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 I think of that famous picture of Muhammad Ali standing over, I think it was Frazier. And he's just like, like that, right? You didn't let my, my enemies gloat over me. For a general, this is really important. David was recognizing that God did not let the enemies of God's people defeat them. That even to this day, he is standing in holy land that God has claimed. He's like, like you, didn't, you didn't let me be defeated, God. And so what we as Christians realize, like, we are to live victorious lives. And sometimes it's going to feel like defeat will be there, but God is a God of victory. He's leading us in that victory. Then it says that, that God, it says that you healed me. This is a beautiful picture of salvation. In fact, the word salve, it's like a healing salve, an ointment, right? That salvation is a sense of like, we are sick, dead in our sins and our hurts, and God is applying the proper medicine to make us healthy again. And so David gives us a picture of what the salvation was like for him. It was like a healing that he's felt from God. And this says, Lord, that you brought me from the realm of the dead. This is a kind of interesting thing to say. What he's talking about is like he's been resuscitated. Like he was dead and then he came back to life. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago and um, the, the, the man who was the groom stood up and said, I want to uh, just say something. I, I, there's someone I really have to thank here. I was struck by lightning and I died and my heart stopped and this one person came in and they pumped my heart and they gave me mouth to mouth and then I came back and my heart started beating again and it was really poetic how he said it. I just want to tell you the type of heartbeats I've felt since then. I felt the heartbeat of worry. I felt the heartbeat of anxiousness when I first saw my now wife. I felt the heartbeat of celebration when I finally got to, she said, I do. And he was just describing all the different heartbeats that he's had since then. And the place just erupted, like clapping, obviously, for this, this amazing moment where this person came out of the dead, right? So he realized, like, oh, this is a powerful. When David says, you, you took me from the realm of the dead. Now, this is probably a metaphor. We don't have any medical evidence that he kind of died and this type of resuscitation happened. But he's giving this beautiful picture. And what's amazing about it, he's giving us a picture of resurrection. 
This is a beautiful picture that he was taken from the realm of the dead. And we're going to see that that is the ultimate salvation, the ultimate hope that's being prophesied by this minstrel prophet, David. And then he continues on and he says, you spared me from going down to the pit. Like you rescued me. I was going down this way and you, you took me off that path. Whether you grabbed me and held on to me so I didn't fall kind of like off the cliffhanger, holding on. You rescued me from going down to the pit. And there's so many different ways to think about the salvation of God. There's other ways. There's like redemption, right? We see the, the, the movement of God where he redeems the slaves in Egypt. We see pictures of, of God being able to do so many different things in the New Testament. What does salvation mean? It's multifaceted, but God is a God who saves and is saving. And so my question it comes to you is, how has God saved you? If you were going to write your story, how has God saved you? Now, some people have kind of dramatic stories that they've been healed. There would be people who have stories of like financial rescue or, or in their workplace. Might be places where you've been saved from your own vice and your own self-destructive behavior. But it might not all even be that flashy too, right? Some of you might be like, I, was a, I became a Christian. I started following Jesus when I was five. And I didn't have like some deep, dark hurt or past. Or, so what does it mean when I'm saying like, God rescued me? Well, I'd like to just take a moment for you to take a look inside yourself and recognize kind of those, those things within you, maybe those sinful behaviors that you have. And think about what you would have become if you had just allowed those to flourish these past years since you were little, since you started walking with Christ. How has Christ, by forming you and shaping you in the church and growing you, how has he, has he saved you from yourself? Every single person who follows Jesus must be able to recognize you've been saved. We see as a story and sometimes that's really, really powerful, isn't it? Like someone who's moved from looking at Jesus one way and now realizing who he really is and starting to allow that power to work in her life. And what I loved about what, what she said was, I don't know why that lady was sharing her story. And she was like in the laundromat and then some lady starts sharing her hurt and pain of her story. And she's like, why was she doing that? I'll tell you why. The Holy Spirit of God moved her to share what God was doing in her life. And she understood that to do that, you share your story, you share how he's been saving you and working in you. And that's what we're asking ourselves today. Like what, what we're looking at our lives, like how can I say, this is my story, this is my song. Can you identify your story? Can you see where God is showing up in your life? And maybe it comes through some things that, that you've gone through personally. But it always traces back to the gospel story. And, and that's what I want to make sure that we always, when we're looking at what God's done in our life, we, we map it back to the, the overarching story of history that God has written. And this is the, the theme of, of uh, history is what we would say like creation, fall, redemption. Right? If I was going to talk about the gospel story, we talk about how God, a good and loving God, formed and molded and, and took these two human beings that he loved and he breathed his spirit into them and made them alive and in love and in fellowship with him. And then these two human beings were, were tricked by their own 
lust and pride, their own desire to be like God. They wanted to be like him. And so they turned their back on him and they said, I'm going I'm to do what I want. I'm going to be just like God. And so humanity is living in this shell of itself for millennia, trying to be like God and continually falling flat on their face, recognizing through war and, and all the, the darkness of humanity, this is all coming from this place of rejection of God. And so God, within all of this, he sees this, and he decides, I'm going to make for myself a people. I'm going to start from scratch. I'm going to start with one little family, and I'm going to love them and care for them. As if they're faithful to me, if they're not faithful to me, and he starts caring for them, and he grows them, and then they turn into a people, but then they're taken into slavery, and God says, no, no, I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to rescue you from slavery. This is going to be a thing we call redemption. And this is a picture of what I want to do with all humanity. And he takes them out of Egypt and he brings them to his place. And then he brings up a king who's a man after his own heart, fallen and sinful like anyone. But he raises him and he promises, him, I am going to guarantee that there will be someone who sits on your throne that will reign for forever. And then this kingdom is growing, and, but then it starts falling apart, and there's the people being taken away captive here and there. And eventually, after hundreds of years, people are crying out like, oh, God, what's going on? And then a few lucky ones get to look into the eyes of a little babe, and they stare at him, and they recognize this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to save the world. And so God became a man and he lived amongst us, and he, he lived a sinless life. And as he lived this life, he saw all the effects of the sin, and everyone turned their back on God. And, but as he lived his life, people started to recognize who he was, and they started to follow him. And he told them, I'm going to get killed, and they didn't like that, but he did. He went to a cross, knowingly knowing that he was innocent, but he said that this was for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And as he hung on that cross and his blood flowed out and he died, he said, this is finished. Because of that, every single one of us has been saved and freed. And to prove it, he came back from the dead. And he showed, I have victory over death and I promise you, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna save all who have died and all will live forever with eternal life as they trust in me. That's the gospel. That is God's story. So how do you see your story in light of that? How do you connect to the gospel? What are the ways in which sin in your life has kind of manifested itself and that Jesus has saved you from and is saving you from? And so I, I would love you to, to pray and think about it and ask God, how, do I, how can I tell this story like five minutes? Explain how God has worked in my life. And some of you might be able to very clearly say, like, I, I came from abuse. And I know people that have, and they've been hurt and crushed, and they say, like, it was only God who could save me and allow me to forgive, allow me to just live my life at all. Others might come from a place where anxiety and depression has been a thing that they've struggled with, or fear, or, or family dysfunctions. You recognize, like, God has saved me, because he does. He does that for people, still, I think about maybe uh, a story coming from alcoholism, whether it's the effects of it, someone else and how it affected you or from, from your own life. I've seen the ravages of alcoholism. I just saw this week uh, on Facebook, there was a post about uh, 
Alcoholics Anonymous is being sued because it teaches that you need to put your faith in a higher power. And I thought about this, and then people would say, what, do, do, does, has no one ever, an atheist never, beat alcoholism? And I'd say, no, I'm sure there has been people who haven't had faith in Jesus that have beaten alcoholism. But I'll tell you what, the reason Alcoholics Anonymous says that you should put your faith in a higher power is because it worked. Because God saves. That's how people come to know the power that God can do and come in and rescue them. And Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in, he has saved so many people that way. Maybe you're coming from your own personality traits. You just realize, like, I'm like this, and if it wasn't for Jesus, you know what I'd be like? I'd be a jerk. I'd, I'd be a jerk. Or like, if it wasn't for Jesus, there's no way that anyone would have ever married me because <laughs> he rescued me from what I would have been or become, right? This is my story. This is my song. And this is what David shows is that when you're able to know this story and you can see the big picture of what he's done in your life, then the response is praise. He says in verse 4, I sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Praise God for that. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, you have favored me. You made my royal mountain stand firm. This is David the king saying like, God, when I look past my life and I look at through it all, I recognize you stood firm. And yeah, there's been ups and downs and we know he had really hard problems of lust. Like if you actually look at David's life and just see the women in his life and how it's, it's played him, it was a, a bad part of his life and violence. And there was a lot of things about him and, and parts of his life that went way downhill, but yet God's favor lasted over his lifetime. And he could say that. There's just the moments where things went wrong, but I can see him for my lifetime. The proper response to what God's done in your life is to praise him. It says in 1 Corinthians that each of you have a hymn. Each of you have a hymn a story, a song. And so I just say to you, maybe start by telling your story to God. If you want to praise God, the best way to say, instead of just like kind of general, hey God, you're great, you're good. God, you are great to me. You rescued me from my sin. You saved me from my anger problem. You are saving me from, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Be able to praise God with that and say that to him. Sing your song to him. Tell him what he's done for you. And as you do that, make sure that you tell it to yourself and you meditate on the story of God in your life and you're able to understand and see continually so when things get rough, you can look back and remember the story. Because how many times is it easy to say, God, if you do this, I promise you this, and you just forget that he saved you. And once you tell it to yourself, then you're able to start telling it to other people, sharing your story in a natural way, in a way that isn't, you know, you know derogatory, attacking, just a, a simple ability to say, hey, this is what God's done in my life. But I just want to also point out that when you're talking about what God's done in your life, your life might be in a bad spot right now. And I, and I recognize that. And, I, and, and it's important to recognize that. David recognizes. This is what David says when he continues. But when you hid your face, 
I was dismayed. It wasn't all roses. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. And to you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried out for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. First of all, I love how cheeky David is here. It's kind of like, like, is the ground going to praise you? Like, I'm right here. I'm the guy writing the songs, singing the psalms. He just feels like he can say that to God. Like, God, please, I'm here to praise you and worship you. But what he's recognizing is things aren't always good. Things weren't always good for him. In fact, when you look at the Psalms, David writes a whole lot of laments. He spends a lot of time going, why? How did this happen? God, I don't, ugh. Frustrations and hurts. And in fact, the, the entire Psalter, if you look at it, there are more laments than any other type of song. Isn't that interesting? There's more cries of pain than any other type of psalm in in the entire Psalter. God wants you to cry out like that. And so what I'd say to us is when we're singing our songs, it's it's important that we're not faking like, everything's happy right now. It might not be. That doesn't mean you haven't been saved. The bigger story, the macro story, I'll say, is still tracking that you've been saved. You can be able to say the big story to him. But right now, the micro story, it's a little bit worrisome. It's a little bit hard right now. Maybe a lot a bit hard. And, and what we start to recognize is God understands that he doesn't want us to pretend we're perfect. One of the worst things we could do is just always pretend we're happy, shiny Christians. Nothing ever goes wrong. Because then people look at it and they're like, that's fake. I know that. I just, you can see the fakeness. And then they think the whole thing is fake. But when we're able to actually be there and live even in our pain, even when God's dismayed with us or we're dismayed by how God's just not there, whether it's our own sin infiltrating things or whether it's just like, where are you? This doesn't make any sense, God. Maybe you recognize that you still trust in Christ, but you're reeling from what he's dealing you right now. Well, what the scriptures tell us is that there's a way to look at this and there's a way to think through this as well. And Walter Brueggemann talks about um, kind of the cycles that we're in in our spiritual life. And, I, and I, he says basically most of the Psalms fall into one of these categories. And I want to kind of share them with you because I want you to ask yourself, like you have your salvation story, who I am and what he's done for me in the big scale, but where are you right now? There's different places to be. One of them would be in a, in a place of orientation. This is when you're feeling good, you're tracking with God, your life is going well, you're excited. You are truly a shiny, happy Christian because it's It's real. You ever had those places when you're just connected to God? You love it and you're, you're praising him and you're just like, this is beautiful. What I want to say to you is that is a picture of your future. That is where God wants you to be for forever. But the problem is here on earth, we're in orientation, it's exciting, things are going well, and then something happens. Sickness, death, tragedy, something can happen, and then we're into disorientation. Now we're reeling. I don't know where I am. I don't know what way's up or down. I feel like the waves are crashing in. I'm disoriented. God, help me. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, ah. 
And as we grow in life, I think what happened with David is that he went through even times of disorientation. He started being able to deal with him more and more because he, he, he had a history of trusting God even through those. And he, he saw God come around and, and save him. So even when his own life right now is, is in a bad spot, he's still able to, to praise God. And then there's the time of reorientation. That's what I think this psalm is right here in Psalm 30. It's, it's David's heart getting, kind of getting back on track. He's reorienting, remembering what God did for him, and now he's kind of being able to be, recall how he's been saved. So wherever you are right now, remember that you have a song still to sing. And wherever you are, God is moving us towards the orientation, to be reconnected to him, and you will be there someday. And I love how he ends. He kind of gives us a picture of this orientation. He says, you turn my wailing into dancing. English folk dancing like we did last night. Beautiful time of celebration. You remove my sackcloth and you clothe me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. What I love about this is, again, it seems prophetic. He was just talking about how, hey, God, can I, can I praise you from the dust? But he ends with realizing that he is going to spend eternity praising God. I'm going to praise you forever. It's, he understands that somewhere deep in his heart that somehow God is going to bring this all together and someday he will be able to praise God forever. And this is the promise. This is, the, by the way, the, the final aspect of salvation. It's important to be able to tell how God has saved me personally. But part of that story is the fact that God has saved you for eternity. And a lot of times, again, it gets unpopular to talk about what's going to happen after death. But what we're promised is God is going to give us eternal life if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. He will save us. And as we look into that, you start to recognize that this idea of, of this eternal perspective starts to really fill you. Even wherever you are in your life, even in times of disorientation, you can share it with someone, but I know my God lives, and I know I'm going to live with him forever and praise him forever, and I have trust and confidence that I will remain with God. Well, some people say, well, no, the gospel is more about what happens here in life, and, and I do think there's repercussions of following Jesus which make your life better in the here and now. I, I totally believe that. But if that was all there was, Paul tells us that we should be pitied. He says, if all the gospel is about is this life, we are to be pitied beyond all people. But because there is a hope for eternity with Christ, our salvation is complete in the big picture. We can look to God and ask him to save us now and here in life in the, in the midst of our darkness, but we recognize that he will save us ultimately. And even those who, who die beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the, the big promise, the big picture promise. So I don't know where if you, if you know Jesus, if you, if you don't know Jesus, I just want to encourage you to look into him. Look into what he says. See what he talks about with sin. See what he offers you. And recognize you have a chance if you take that step like Asa did and say, you know what, Jesus, you are the son of God. I want to follow you. I want my sins to be forgiven. Because if you look into your heart, you can recognize there's been parts in your life where you've done wrong. And those of you who maybe have been Christians for a long time, we still need to bring those parts of us maybe that we've been holding back, don't we? There might be some sin in our life where we have to confess that to God and bring that back to him. When Jesus walked towards the table, 
He took bread in a state of disorientation. Like he knew he was facing death. He, his betrayer, he had just spoken with, he, he recognized where he was. He knew the soldiers were sharpening their swords even now. And what he does is he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you to save you out of the depths. And he took the cup and he, and he poured it and he said, this is my blood that's been shed to forgive you of your sin. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim that God saves. So as you come to the table today, I, I'd ask you to take a, a piece of the bread and the, and the cup as you hold it. Just ask the Lord to reveal to you maybe a few words to pray to him, to sing to him, to say to him. Speak to him and praise him for your story, how he's saved you, how he's rescued you from the depths. Take that moment to be with him, to pray with him, and receive, again, a tangible reminder that you are forgiven and it's all washed away. Let's pray. God, I, I ask you for your spirit to fall into the hearts and, and weigh upon those maybe who don't know you or questioning, wondering. May you reveal yourself to them. May they open up their lips to say, show yourself to me, God. And would you show yourself? Would you show Jesus to them? Would they become followers of Jesus and receive the saving power that we've been talking about? I talk for... Lord God, for, for you to come upon those who are in disorientation. There, there's, a, there's hurt, there's pain, there's sickness, there's discord. There's a lot of things, Lord God, in our lives that can, can really make us start to waver in terms of, of just seeing you. And it's hard to keep our eyes on you. We're, we're, we're out of focus. I pray that you could, Lord God, reach us where we are. Allow us to cry out in our pain. Cry and weep with this for those of us who are just hurting so bad that all we can do is just cry. Would you weep with us? For those who, Lord God, are kind of coming from that place, I pray that you enter them into a time of reorientation where they'd come back, Lord God, their thoughts would move to you, they would offer up confession of their sins, and they would place it onto you and, and trust in you and and be thankful for your forgiveness. And those who might be in a state of orientation, who are feeling right now your power reigning in their life, they can see where you're moving. Lord God, I pray that you would infuse them with the joy that they can be able to spread. That others would see it and ask them their story. That we could be encouraged, those of us who might be hurting, and, and just recognizing, God, that you are moving, that you are saving. We thank you, God, that you rescued us out of the pit. We thank you that you will bring us back from the dead. And we ask that this bread and this cup, as we take it, that you would allow our hearts to feel the truth of your salvation. Amen.